HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Welcome back to Heritage Radio Network on tour, broadcasting live from Fire, Flower, and Fork in Richmond, Virginia. I'm Lisa Held, and before we kick things off, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Virginia Wine, for making our coverage of the festival possible. Right now, I'm joined by Evram Dowu. Did I say it right? Yeah, pretty good. <laughs> um, Evram is a baker in Richmond. In 2012, uh, he and his sister opened Sabrosa Bakery in Richmond's Churchill neighborhood. He specializes in wood-fired breads made from organic, regional, and heirloom varieties of wheat, corn, and rye. Evram, thank you so much for being here. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, so I'm so excited to talk about Sabrosa and all the interesting baking and milling you're doing. Um, let's start with how you got into it. Um, so I read that you initially pursued a career in education. Is that right? Yes, although I never got far enough into it to really define what that would be like. I wanted to work with food and education and couldn't kind of create the job of my dreams. Okay. So I started making bread at home. <laughs> um, how You just started making bread. So how uh-huh. were, were you just always interested in bread? Or? I grew up my I grew up in a pizza joint in Louisiana. My dad had Ma Pa Pizza Shop. And then when we moved to Northern Virginia, I was uh, uh, working at his restaurant, but always in the front of house. Mm. And I, so I grew up around food, with food. Both of my parents are from Turkey. They're Turkish immigrants that... Um, grew up with a very strong food culture. So I cooked a lot after I moved away from home. And it was through really cooking at home that I just wanted to start having bread with my meals. So I started baking at home. Mm. It was baking so much that I was giving a lot of bread away. And I started to hear feedback like I would pay for this. (laughs) And that actually was the kind of seed. And at the time... I was working with a nonprofit kind of educational organization, a community center, and they had a food program, but uh, yeah, it was slow to get going. So I Mm. um, started Sub Rosa in its first phase. And your sister's involved as well? At that time she wasn't, but now, yeah, we opened the bakery as it is now, the brick and mortar storefront together. Okay. Mm -hmm. And do you you each have like a defined role in the business? Yes. Well, we did, especially in the beginning. I I really only knew bread. And though I was Mm. self-taught, that was my main passion and goal was to make more bread. Um, And I knew I wanted to have a wood-fired bakery. 
So once we realized we were going to have an actual retail space, uh, I asked her, she was living in DC at the time, and I asked her if she wanted to do pastries because with a wood-fired oven, the type we have, you have all this heat after mm. you've baked the bread. So what are you going to do with that heat? Huh. You have uh, lots and lots of time to bake pastries. So she was not trained at all. <laughs> wow. She, um, she actually went to Bien Cui and did like a it was, you know, boot camp for her. <laughs> um, worked there for three months, solid, got a lot of knowledge and, you know, uh, just practical work there mm. and then worked at two other bakeries one in Asheville North Carolina and one in DC then came back and we opened up wow and you said you knew for sure you wanted to do wood-fired bread why yes. wood-fired I think early on in my kind of r romanticism of of what it means to make food I liked traditional techniques that mm. um connect the person making it to the earliest ways in which you would do something. So I wasn't very into the, the technical, technical food where you had to separate yourself too much from the, the oldest forms of cooking. Mm -hmm. So um, because of that, I really wanted to pursue bread baking that way. Right. So when we, yeah, when we opened, that was the... I, I, you know, in retrospect, it's kind of a crazy thing to do to have a retail bakery that's wood fired. Yeah, is, is a little bit, yeah. <laughs> well, why is it crazy? Well, so you have to tell, be able to tell your customers, like, oh, we don't have that uh, because the oven's too hot, and right. you know, it, it, it's a falling temperature. We have no gate. We can't even continue the fire that we build today is for tomorrow's bake. So once you wake up in the morning, you have the heat that you have for the day, and that's it. I noticed on your website you had, like, the bread schedule. Is that why? Because you're sort of planning it out. That is more us wanting to, like, l isolate and or, like, concentrate on just having a couple different types of bread a day okay. to keep the quality high in that way. But um, the schedule in terms of when the bread comes out is like that. Like, mm. so we don't have bread coming out of the oven until it cools down a little bit more, about 10 a.m., um, so it's yeah. funny. Does that take like a lot of education with, um, people that come in? Like you can't just get, you know, whatever bread you want every day. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. And that complain. takes a very understanding customer, yeah. um, group base that, which we have, uh, it does take education, but not in the sense, um, it just comes naturally. And Richmond is a, I think an under, very understanding place. Church Hill, the neighborhood that we're in is a very supportive neighborhood of, from the get-go mm. so um we were really lucky to open a neighborhood that was really literally hungry for us and was well received I think, mm. partly for that reason that's awesome um so i want to talk a little bit about the grains that you use so yes. i know you use a lot of sort of um regional um grains mm -hmm. um and, you know, heirloom varieties. Can you talk a little bit about some of, like, the more interesting grains you use that maybe other bakers don't use so much um, and yes. where you're getting them? Sure. Well, I would say probably the most unique um, grain that we're using right now is, is a more modern variety. It was developed in North Carolina, but the reason we're so um, excited about it is because it you know surpasses the organic standard although it's certified organic mm. it's grown just 10 15 miles from where we're sitting in Powhatan uh, Virginia and it's 
a, one of the first wheats I've worked with in 10 years of working with uh, Virginia wheats that really makes good bread. Hmm. And that might sound uh, like not as radical and incredible of a thing as it is, but it's huge. Uh, not all grain is alike. Not all wheat is not wheat is not wheat. Right. And so there's wheats that traditionally maybe from Kansas or from Saskatchewan, Canada or from the Dakotas that that's what, what a lot of people when they buy flour that makes a really big, you know, vol voluminous pizza or mm. bread, um, they're getting their flour from out there. To use local grains, a lot of times you have to deal with weaker and flowers that don't have as much of that power. Mm. Um, and this one is a really nice balance. What is it called? New East. N-U East. Mm. Mm -hmm. um, and is that something that farmers in the area were just growing or did you ask them to grow it? Like how, how does that relationship work um, when you're looking for these regional grains? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to plug a uh, pending nonprofit group that we help uh, start with a bunch of other millers, bakers, and farmers who are concerned about this very thing. Mm. We connected to the farmer, Pete Sisti, through creating this organization called the Common Grain Alliance. Mm. And so the Common Grain Alliance, like many other, I know that there's a couple in New York mm. and all over the country, they aim to do similar things by recreating a regional grain system mm. um, that often has completely disintegrated or disappeared, yeah. which includes milling, farming, every aspect of the infrastructure of, you know, basically putting bread on your table. Right. Um, so we, by being involved in trying to do that, we connected to these farmers directly, um, but now we're more interested in trying to create a more vibrant you know, kind of not only economy, but culture where different bakers, restaurateurs, consumers can have access to grains that grow around them and can know more about those grains. Because it's, it's actually very limited even now. I mean, mm. it's, it's better, but, right. <laughs> but it's still quite limited. Yeah, that's cool that that's happening in different spots. You, it, there's definitely been in New York, like a huge revival of yes, the farmer grain economy ground, upstate. Yeah, mm -hmm. um, and it's really exciting that Very. that stuff is available. It wasn't available at all like 10 years ago. Um, no, not, so. and which, is, which is saying a lot about our conversation around local versus organic or heirloom versus mm. local. Uh, we get a lot of questions about heritage grain or heirloom yeah. grain. And um, we've, we've really tried to turn that conversation to well, you know, where is this food actually coming from and, and why should we maybe care about it be, being regional? Uh, so that's, that's... How do you answer nice. that question? Like, why should we care about it being regional? Uh, uh, with our entire lives, I guess. <laughs> yeah. It's not an easy question to answer on, yeah. on the radio, but you could say um, that the importance in having food that you know about you know, it's easier to see, I think, when it's like a tomato or an egg right in front of you. People are like, oh, my gosh, this tastes so different, mm -hmm. so much better. Uh, it's more, maybe more difficult with bread or pasta. Um, and I'm, I'm not against, you know, grain uh, traveling or anything, but to be able to have the control and really artistic ability to explore different grains, to present that to people... One, it's more exciting and interesting as a cook or a baker, but you're also going to get people the most nutritious and interesting um, grains possible. Plus, you get that direct connection with the farmer, which 
you can't really trade, right? It's not um, commodifiable, so right. uh, that relationship. So all of those things um, yeah. weigh into it, but it's very difficult to have a quick, you know, when you're selling the bread, like yeah. why, why should I pay for this or what is this right. made of? You, you kind of have to just say, oh, it's, it's local. <laughs> well, and then I guess it's part of it. Is, that's why it's great to be part of like a, a neighborhood, like you were saying, like the community mm. supports you. You've, you've, I'm sure you have lots of people who just get to know you and get to know your bread. And they're, yes. Yeah. And we're trying to do like this dinner we're doing tomorrow as, as part of the Fire Flower Fork event is really an opportunity for us to speak to people while we cook for them about how important these issues are and, and why we're in, so interested in bringing back a regional grain economy. Like, why is that something? You know? Right. What about the, um, you, you sort of touched a little bit on the taste. Um, does, does milling the, the grain yourself, does that affect um, like the taste or the texture of the bread? For me, that's where it started. Okay. I, I was eating bread. I mean, who knows what other breads I loved that happened to be freshly milled flour, but excuse me, I was eating bread at uh, Farm and Sparrow, which was a wholesale bakery in uh, Asheville, outside of Asheville, North Carolina. Mm. And it had fresh, yeah, fresh, um, <laughs> there's a fan. Yeah, uh, it <laughs> had, from Asheville. Yes. <laughs> Freshly milled flour at that time was, um, uh, the baker was m- making efforts to have their breads be 100% freshly milled flour. So there's one of them coming out of the oven. I cracked it open and, and that was it. I mean, I hadn't opened the bakery yet, but from that moment I knew, oh boy, you know, I'm going to have to get a mill. We're mm. going to have to mill it because the flavor was so intense. And I, th- I think part of that I've learned over time is, you know, wheat has many parts to it. If you're just eating the starch, um, maybe it compared to like if wine, people who know wine out there, like if you, if you just quickly press the juice and you only get the sugar, and that's all you're going for. You know, you can have a great kind of sugar drink, but all the complexity and interesting things come in when it ferments with everything else that's going on there, the skin, the, sometimes even the stems, the, all that. Mm. It's the same with wheat. It has German bran, and that's the aromatic and tannic flavors of a grain. Um, and I, th- I think it really can be as nuanced uh, and, and intense because you lose those aromatics, anything that's like ground and then, you know freshly uh freshly made and uh, if it sits over time you're going to lose that that pop right that vibrancy right and that's kind of cool that you you were inspired by this bakery in Asheville Mm -hmm. right and then you came to um Richmond and are building this regional grain economy here trying to Uh, (laughs) yeah (laughs) it seems like you're doing a good job yeah and actually um I know a baker who worked for you who Mm -hmm. now is baking the bread in at Woodbury Kitchen in Baltimore, Russell Trimmer. Yes. And yeah, yeah. they're buying locally yes. uh, grown grains and milling them and making incredible bread there. Yes. So you've kind of like traced this path and now there's all these different people in, in different regions that are kind of I hope weirdly so. connected. Yeah, we wanna we actually wanna bring all of those Maryland DC folks into the fold. You know, we've been a lot of us that are working on this have been in Virginia. Um, but we really are trying to make it a regional thing. Mm-hmm. You know, the name is not trying to be just Virginian. Um, but that being said, yeah, even the person I ate that bread with in Asheville has now in Hudson, New York, uh, oh, really? Sparrowbush Farm, huh. is baking, just now baking bread with a mill. Um, 
you know, the baker who was inspired also um, by Farm and Sparrow, uh, you know, Elmore Mountain Bread, Andrew and Blair, really have become the, the site of the new milling revolution in America and beyond. I mean, his, his mills have been shipped to Australia and um, Canada. So now all of a sudden he's giving bakers and restaurateurs the tools to make you know, to have that connection directly with farmers because if you don't have the mill in house it's very difficult to you know if we had all had specialty contracts with a mill that would do what we wanted mm -hmm. maybe half of us wouldn't open up this can of worms because it is quite difficult but right you know when you have the tool then you can use it and it's been a really wonderful um, wonderful tool even though it has its drawbacks <laughs> <laughs> Um, so to, to finish up, um, let me just ask you, um, what, what makes a really good loaf of bread? Like, what are the qualities? Like when, when you eat <laughs> bread, mm -hmm. you're like, this is good. <laughs> mm. I'm just curious, like how you describe the qualities of good bread. Wow. That's a good one. It's nice. I have to, now I am going to close my eyes and, <laughs> and go internally. Meditate a here. little yeah. before you answer. <laughs> so really one of the wonderful wonderful things about bread is that immediate I don't care what kind of bread it is it can be the thinnest flat bread or really thick bread but that comparison or contrast between something crispy and crunchy and something very soft and giving um, there's like this incredible yin and yang there so a good bread if it has both of those things like an incredible naan has both of those things you know it's pillowy on one side and then very crispy on the other but a good rye bread should be like that too you know it's soft and dense maybe inside but the crust is very very dark dark deeply malted kind of crispness to it so that and then I would also say if if the bread isn't hiding behind anything if it's really simple then those layers of flavor you can just really taste them so just a bread that doesn't have to hide behind anything uh, you know, does that make sense? Yeah, so Those are my two, that's what I look for in a really good bread. And it can be, like I said, many different cultures, bread, not just not just a bread maybe that comes to somebody's mind, but yeah. everybody's mind. <laughs> On that things. note, I'm very hungry. Yes. Um, <laughs> Let's eat. Um, thank you, everyone, so much for coming by. Thank you we for We really appreciate here. it. Uh, this is Lisa Held for Heritage Radio on Tour, and thanks again to our sponsor, Virginia Wine, for making our coverage of Fire, Flower, and Fork possible. Mm -hmm.